0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Well, it's January. Balance is important. It's a very common resolution. I'm going to get my life in balance. What does that mean for you? Well, it means different things to different people at different times. But a well-balanced life is essential for personal effectiveness, peace of mind, and to live your best life. So how do you do that? What if you are a single parent with a... Three or four children, and you're working outside of the home. What if you're a retiree that is dealing with depression, or or taking care of a a loved one? Uh, You are the primary caregiver, and it's impacting your health because there's a great risk that it can impact your health. What if you are part of a couple, and you're working? Both of you are working inside and outside of the home. You're trying to raise the kids and raise them well. And you are trying to get your finances in order. Maybe you're leveraged a little bit. Maybe you're overstrapped. Maybe you have relationship problems. Maybe your finances are paid, but there's no food in the fridge. Maybe your kids are having problems in school. Perhaps you didn't get that promotion. So we have to... Be able to live healthily, get adequate sleep, be able to deal with problems. If you're up at night thinking about problems that you're having or the next day or what you're going to do, your to-do list, you know, it may not be the most healthiest way to deal and have a well-balanced life. So we all have responsibilities. There's always something to do. There's always somebody to answer to. Somebody always wants a piece of you or so it seems. But if we are able... To reduce stress and manage a well-balanced life, you are at much less risk for physical or emotional health consequences. So it's important that you take care of and nurture yourself. So one way to do that is, well, one, one thing I say to people is there's a reason that the airlines say to you, you know, should things go awry in the sky, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Even if you have a child, put it on yourself first because you cannot be gasping for breath while you are trying to control a two-year-old and trying to get oxygen on them. So you've got to put the oxygen mask on yourself in life first. Remember, you can't accomplish anything if you're unhealthy. So getting plenty of rest, exercise, and eating properly is key. And so what I suggest for people to eat properly, and and many people gain weight. They let themselves go. They don't realize the impact that unhealthy foods has on their health. So I suggest a low-glycemic index, high-protein, low-carbohydrate diet. About 30 minutes of walking a day will be very beneficial for your mood, get your neurotransmitters balanced as well, and will help you sleep at night. Go to bed at the same time every night, get up at the same time every day. But so many of us are burning the candle at both ends, and so that makes us crave carbs. When you're not getting adequate amounts of sleep, you process carbohydrates differently, and that's why people tend to gain weight. Their metabolism slows down, and so it's difficult to function adequately. And you might be able to get the, get away with this for a little while or when you're younger, but believe you me, things are going to catch up with you. Also, understand what your priorities are in life. Balance doesn't necessarily mean you've got to cram every single activity in possible or or putting your kids in every single program. You know, it might be nice to put them in one sports program, one arts program. but You've got to examine your values and and re-examine your values. What's important to you? Decide what's important to you. If you're in a relationship, you know, decide that together and kind of you know, agree to disagree on certain things or to try things out. You can test things out and, and then also set your boundaries and and stay in that. Lately in my clinical practice, I've been seeing a lot of parents for some reason and, and they're having issues with sexual desire or sexual function. And, and what I'm finding is that these parents are depleted. It doesn't matter the age of the parent or the age of the children. They all have a whole host of different issues. So one example is a, a couple that have two children, and one of the, and they both work outside of the home, and she happens to do a little bit more of the housework. He cooks a little bit more, but she cleans a whole lot more. And that's not always the case, but it is in this situation. And the 5-year-old continues to come in to their bed at night, wake them up at night. Not only does she do that, but then she kicks. So the mother wakes up in the middle of the night, returns the child to the bed, Goes, lies down and sleeps with the child, and then the child starts kicking her, so the mother is awakened again, and she goes back into her bed, and she's getting her sleep interrupted every single night, and and this is a pattern of behavior, and the the thing that was most striking to me was this couple actually said – um, well, you know, we could actually maybe try to get her out of the bed. But this is, you know, we might look back on these times and think it was just so cute that she used to come in to our bed in the middle of the night. And I thought, if you don't put a stop to this, she's going to be 20 and coming into the bed in between the two of you. You're going to be having that conversation over her. So it's important that you realize you're not necessarily doing your children any favors when you don't set healthy limits and boundaries. That's one example. I have another couple in my clinical practice. The father struggles with addiction issues. and But it's kind of been the elephant in the living room. Nobody really says, you know, nobody really wants to ruffle the feathers. And uh, But the, the daughter, who is 21, is having issues with marijuana. She smokes marijuana every day. She has failed out of university. They are paying her rent. They're giving her a stipend. And, you know, she has absolutely – well, she's demotivated, likely, by the marijuana, which they said. And she's unmotivated to get a job because her parents are paying for her at the age of 21. Many people are on their own. And so parents feel like, well, something might happen. This couple has a fear that that she might die, that she might – you know, she's not going to. She's going to take care of herself. Uh, But she has to actually get a job, fend for herself, realize what life is about. And so you have to – if you want to raise good children – it actually – upstanding citizens, kids that are independent, can rely on themselves. You actually have to set some limits and, and not spoil them. Otherwise, we're going to end up with an entirely entitled society. And you know what that does. Um, so you also – I want to make sure that, you know, what is right for the child, it's not about you, that it's about them. And sometimes you got to make the tough decisions with your kids. So take a look at that if that's affecting your relationship, and often it does. And sometimes kids play one parent against the other. And, and you know what? Parents need to be on the same page at every age. Also, you may want to create an efficient mindset. So that takes organization and planning ahead. And some people are better planners than others. But you know what? I find taking time at the beginning of each week to assess what needs to be done that week. If you need to make a to-do list, a planner, calendar for appointments, you know, there's so many apps now to keep you organized. And so that is really important. Take that time to clean your office or, or clean your house Organize your schedule. Pay your bills every time the same week. Set it up you know, so that's something that you need to do every single week so a week doesn't go by and two and then a month and then the bill collectors are after you. Also, you know, keep your finances in, in good order. You want to uh, know that you you have to expect the unexpected. And so it's how you react to things. You know, it's it's, uh, a response versus a reaction. And that's what you want to work toward. So you need to learn to roll a little bit with the punches when – something over which you have no control happens. And believe you me, of course, you know that that's going to happen. But you know what, you're you're a whole lot better prepared to deal with problems. If you've had a good night's sleep the night before, or if you've had a week of good sleep, or you just sleep well, and you eat well, and you're energized, and you feel good about yourself, you can actually, you know, little things, if if you're not living healthily, Little things like getting stuck in traffic can actually lead to frustration, and that can actually increase your risk of having a car accident. Your emotions can cloud your decision-making process. I mean, your computer might crash just when you're giving a presentation. Of course, that's happened to me. Uh, and you know, you gotta have Plan B all the time. But you might have a big presentation to give at work, and then your child gets sick with chickenpox, and you can't find childcare. You know, these are these are pimples on the face of life. Uh, these stuff happens. And so we all experience the unexpected. You just have to learn how to deal with this. Um, And and maintaining a positive attitude, a positive mental attitude is very important. And, And Beginning each day with the intention of making the best and the most of it. And, you know, what I recommend for everybody is to make your bed in the morning. You know why? If you have a tough day. You come back at the end of a tough day, you can get into a made bed, and that's a whole lot nicer. And you've also at least completed one task that day. On those days that you feel like everything went wrong, making your bed went right. Right. And there's nothing wrong with a little meditative practice just after you get out of bed, get up in the morning, 5, 10, 15 minutes of, of calm and helps your ability to deal with the day. And, you know, the day may not always go as planned, but it can go more smoothly if you also put it in perspective. And so part of living a well-balanced life is learning how to deal with adversity, unforeseen events, uncertainty, and it's, again, how you respond. Try not to react Try to also put it in perspective in terms of, is this a first world problem or is this uh, a really a major issue like a significant medical disorder? Anyway, so just kind of rethinking and and looking at balance and knowing that you're going to have a few steps back in order to have several steps forward. I am Maureen McGrath and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. On this program, we talk about health, and that involves many different aspects of our lives like our physical health, our emotional health, our psychological health, spiritual health, and even sexual health. And sometimes it's the health of your relationship that determines your sex life. And there are certain habits we're living in such a busy, fast paced, digitalized world. And, you know, sometimes we've let go of those personal little habits that can be so beneficial to our relationship and our love lives. So I want to talk to you about some little morning habits that might just make your partner melt and fall in love with you all over again. Mornings tend to be the most hectic time in especially a family's life, but in a person's life. A lot of people are morning people. They get up, they want to face the day, but they often face it alone. They're going out to work, bringing the kids to school, whatever, heading off to the, the rec centers or the senior centers or the or the clubs or or volunteering. And that often starts early in the day. And it's hard to spend quality time with your significant other if you're rushing out the door. But if you want to demonstrate that love at the beginning of the day, you may want to engage in some of my little morning tips. You don't have to spend time making, a, you know, a, an extensive breakfast in bed every day. But even just a small thing like bringing a cup of coffee to bed for your partner every day, that can be the thing you do For your partner. So taking a few minutes out of every day to show a little affection, especially in the morning, may help to strengthen your relationship and set the tone for the remainder of the day for the two of you. And I think that mornings are a great time for people to connect. I I often tell people, make the bed. Make the bed because if you have a rough day, at the end of the day, you can get into a lovely and beautifully made bed. And have a nice bed. Take some time. Spend a little money on the sheets. You know, make that your little oasis. But also, you may want to discuss your plans for the day. You know, ask your partner, what have they got on that day? And, and you share with them what you're doing that day. And so priorities and activities and lives are always changing. So go over the day with one, one another so each of you knows what the other's day is going to be like or where you're going to be. Maybe you can plan a lunch if you're going to be in the same town or nearby. Cuddling. Now this is a big issue for people in sexless marriages and sexless marriages affect 20% of couples according to research and and one of the complaints is that men will often say when it's the woman has low sexual desire and doesn't want to engage in sex all she wants to do is cuddle and and often women will say that to avoid intimate relations with their partner but but touch can be a powerful healing tool And it's crucial to bonding and strengthening your relationship. And so this is a great habit that can really help you, uh, especially if you've been together with your partner for a long time. But creating a habit of touch in the morning, hey, it may lead to some other things, but it's also something that will bond the relationship. And I'm not actually suggesting here, although it could lead to something, but I'm not suggesting a sexual touch just a hug or a kiss is fine. I'm talking about holding hands. I'm talking about spooning. I'm talking about holding your partner, your lover, your husband, your wife. And no expectations. And make that morning touch subtle. And you're, you will actually see changes in the relationship. You know, the other tip is you want to start out the day engaging in loving talk. And what, what better way... Uh, to talk to your partner in a loving way. And, you know, you've had a good night's sleep, hopefully, and you wake up and, and you know, start to share those loving words with one another. And it starts with gratitude. What You know, there are certain things that may drive you crazy about your partner. Of course, that's normal. But think of the things that you love about your partner and tell them. You know, it's a way to consistently let your partner know that you don't take them for granted and that there are things that you appreciate about them because oftentimes we get stuck in this oh you know I'm bad I can never do good I can never please her I I can never do enough he he doesn't think that I you know look good my you know he puts me down for my weight or whatever and also never leave home if you're heading off for your busy day never leave home without a kiss a hug and I love you have a good day that's very important those are the last words you know god forbid but you know should something happen Those are the last words that you want to leave your partner with. You want to know that that was the last thing they heard from you. Chances are that's not going to happen, of course. But you know what? It's a nice way to uh, start the day. Also, that gratitude is so important, and you want to express that. Say your partner filled up your gas tank the night before. You know, say, hey, thanks for filling up my gas tank. That was fantastic. But, you know, letting someone know that you notice the little things that they do and a little appreciation, of course, as you know, goes a long way. But we forget that. We're so focused on ourselves these days. So it's good to get outside of your relationship and remember gratitude. Have a gratitude jar. Just the little things that you're grateful for. Put down your health, perhaps one day, or or maybe it was that vacation you took, or maybe the fact that you landed a great job or got a promotion, because you know things change and everybody has adversity in life. Uh, so it's these are just some of the tips, and you know, take that time, be mindful. Mindfulness is just a wonderful way to express your love and adoration, and and to build that intimacy. And you can do that mindfulness through, you know, and it may sound corny, but admiration of each other. Just take time in the morning over that cup of tea or coffee that your that your partner that your lover has brought you that you've come to rely upon. Just sit and admire each other. Look into each other's eyes. Just lie in bed and and uh, take it all in and and just you know for the good that's going on in your life and and the, you know everybody can look and everybody can find. Goodness, And maybe this person has supported you through a challenging time. You know, take that time to connect. This is one of the first ways we learn to connect as as babies. And this plays a critical role in attachment. And it perpetuates the bonding in the relationship, which is so important. You need to know you can rely upon your partner that you have respect and you admire your partner for the things that they do do. Nobody's perfect and everybody's going to fall off the wagon or everybody's going to go back to some of their bad habits, maybe things that they learned as a child or grew up with or never kind of got past, or maybe they they brought some of the baggage from their first marriage or their first relationship to this relationship, you know, and it can have a negative impact. So if we stick with gratitude you know, it's a it's a really positive mindset, and the other thing I want to mention is the the technology and the screens. And the closer we become to technology and iPhones and screens, the further away we can get from our lovers, from our partners. And so, the more time you spend looking at your partner rather than your computer, the more time you are able to build intimacy and ultimately build a better, closer relationship because that is so important, but you really need to work at a close relationship and a bonding and an intimate relationship, and that can actually lead to better intimacy and uh, and a closer and more satisfying love life. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. I'm Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you you know this is a health show, and health comprises so much. Your physical health, your emotional health, your psychological health, relational health, and even your sexual health. You can always email me any questions you have because sometimes some of these subjects can be embarrassing for people. So you can email me, at com, And I would like to read one of the emails, one of the many emails that I receive about health, body image, relationships, sex, that I receive on a daily basis from many of you, and I appreciate all of those, and I like to read them on the air to, number one, let people know that they're not alone in these issues, and, and number two, to provide some education, of course, and uh, get you on the straight and narrow a little bit. Dear Maureen, I suffer from premature ejaculation and have done so for my entire life. I am now 47 years of age, and I desperately want to do something about it. To make matters even more interesting, my wife is going through perimenopause. I want to know how I can help without being a complete freak and making this about me when really it's a change that she is going through and I need to support her. I've really been struggling with it, and I feel for her because I know she feels like it's her fault. We are not on Divorce Watch yet, but I would rather be supportive and prevent that. Perhaps would like to book a session just to get started, I also have a clinical practice. Just to let you know, and I see lots of patients in my clinical practice, and I do consults over Skype as well. So uh, that's an option. You can email me nursetalkathotmail.com just to find out some of those options. But right now, I want to get down to premature ejaculation, which is a very common sexual health issue for many men, and it can impact a relationship significantly. And then I'm going to talk about perimenopause. Premature ejaculation is the uncontrolled ejaculation either before or shortly after sexual penetration. So in other words, it's it's the definition of a quickie on steroids, I guess. It can happen with minimal sexual stimulation and before the person or even the partner wishes. Although some women actually are kind of happy that it's over, especially if they're having fatigue and managing and juggling all sorts of balls in their life. Uh, but it can result in unsatisfactory sex for both partners, or dissatisfying sexual events uh, is what uh, we call it in the research world of sex. And this can increase anxiety that actually may add up or add to the problem. It's one of the most common forms, as I said, of male sexual dysfunction, and it has probably affected every man at some point in his life. As men age, they can get a little bit of control around it. They're not so easily excitable as they have in the past. But most cases of premature ejaculation do not have a clear cause. Sometimes people will say that, you know, because sex is such a taboo subject and, you know, when boys are exploring themselves sexually and, and starting to masturbate, which is a, a healthy activity um you know they might be embarrassed about it they might hear their mother coming down the hallway and and get it over quickly uh get that pleasure but it happens really fast and they they don't want anyone to know and of course so you know blame the mother comes in here um you got to blame somebody and and the mother is off in the scapegoat but uh But with sexual experience and age, men often learn to delay orgasm. And uh, premature ejaculation can also happen when you're in a new relationship. So with a new partner, it's exciting. But it may also only happen in certain sexual situations uh, or if it has been a long time since the last time you were intimate with your partner. Of course, anxiety plays a big role. Guilt can, can be a contributing factor. Depression may also cause it as well, but there are some times that it can be a medical reason for premature ejaculations. It can be hormonal problems, injury, or also a side effect of medication, and so that's why it's important that we do research on medications and that you don't mix medications together and you let your doctor know what you're doing. But the main symptom of premature ejaculation is uncontrolled ejaculation. Shortly, be, shortly it may, could happen before or after intercourse begins. And ejaculation, you know, the, the hallmark sign is that it occur, occurs before the person wants it to with minimal sexual stimulation. So you can go and talk to your doctor about this if you have that type of relationship with your doctor. Some guys are really embarrassed to talk about sexual health issues with their doctors because they are on the golf course with them on Wednesday or or something like that. But it's important you have that open conversation and let your daughter, your doctor know you're experiencing this and your doctor will do a thorough physical exam. And also your doctor may want to talk to your partner as well, because it's important to talk to the partner because the partner can give a different perspective. Maybe they can say, well, you know, he's been upset about work or uh, he's having issues with the kids or there's financial problems. And so Premature ejaculation can have many causes, but there there may be a need for some laboratory tests to rule out any other medical problem. And, you know, in a lot of cases, premature ejaculation gets better on its own. It's often, you know, helpful just to admit it, just to say, I have premature ejaculation, maybe some breathing exercises, calming down, practicing relaxation or distraction methods. Sometimes people say, think of your mother-in-law. That ought to slow things down. Um, But for some men, stopping or cutting down on the use of alcohol or tobacco or other illegal drugs because they can actually lead to anxiety. They can make you more nervous. So There's also some certain techniques that you and your partner can practice, uh, the start and stop technique. So you get to just the point of no return, just before that point of no return, and and you stop the sexual stimulation. And so you can learn over time to identify and control those sensations that lead up to ejaculation and maybe calm things down slow things down and also you may want to learn to communicate better with your partner to slow or stop that stimulation you may also try a condom to reduce sensation to the penis there's also some lidocaine gel that can be applied i'm not big on that because it can decrease sexual stimulation and make it a little bit less pleasurable you may try different positions like lying on your back during intercourse Um, And and counseling or behavioral therapy can help to reduce that anxiety that's associated with premature ejaculations. In really serious cases, some doctors may prescribe antidepressant medications because uh, they can have been shown to treat premature ejaculation. So medications like clomipramine, clomipramine. uh Paxil is another one that slows things down. They actually work on the anxiety, but the side effect is inhibited orgasm, which helps to delay ejaculation. So uh, there's also a pain medication, Tramadol, has been used for many years to control pain, and it can also be used to delay ejaculation. So there's many things that you can try, but what I would recommend is the most conservative approach, and that is, you know, talking to your partner, communication, dealing with your anxiety, and trying some of those stop. And start methods, you may have a little bit more fun in the bedroom. Now, my friend also, uh, my emailer friend also uh, asked about perimenopause. Perimenopause are the years leading up to menopause. And it can start as early as age 37 in a woman. And so his wife is probably in her 40s. He didn't say, but he's 47. So it's likely that she's after the age of, of 37. So she may be experiencing joint pain or bone pain. That's a common perimenopausal symptom or hot flashes and night sweats, mood, heart palpitations. And so really to be supportive is to be understanding is to allow her to talk and express her feelings, not try to solve the problem, maybe encourage her to have a conversation with her doctor. And also, again, the things that work quite well in perimenopause are those conservative uh conservative measures such as exercising every day. Maybe do some exercise together. It's bonding. It can create intimacy. Uh, Be understanding if she has low libido or low sexual desire during this time. If she has vaginal dryness, sex can be painful and nobody wants to um, cause pain for anybody, but there are treatments. Talk to your wife about the treatments. Personal moisturizers are very effective for vaginal dryness, which can lead to painful sex and low sexual desire. So just being able to talk, having great conversation, understanding and, uh, you know, communicating and and being together and holding and cuddling and and being grateful and understanding that this is a natural progression. It's not a medical condition. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. I'm Maureen McGrath. Uh, Always a pleasure to chat to you about a variety of subjects. And I want to talk a little bit about the midlife woman, in particular, body image for the midlife woman. Because I hear a lot about body image in my clinical practice from women who especially are dealing with low sexual desire. Many women feel embarrassed about how they look, they are trying to lose weight. They are over exercising, they get hungry, they're they're trying to manage all of these beach balls. It what feels like trying to keep all these beach balls under ocean tides. Um, and that's just impossible to do, and, and many women at midlife experience um, a bit more of a gut, or they call it the muffin top, and they crave carbs, and they may be more stressed with managing their careers and managing the children, and there's a tr- it's a transitional time. And so that age between kind of 35, 40 to 60, 65, that midlife time, and at that time... Many women may experience midlife alterations in their bodies. Now, there's an average weight gain. You might find this on the low side, 5 to 10 pounds in midlife. But you may not even know because I find a lot of women in my clinical practice just don't want to get on the scale. They have that numbers fear. They have that they they don't want to know what it is because they're going to have to deal with it or they're going to be shocked. I had one woman in my clinical practice, and she knew she had to lose weight. She wanted to lose weight. And and it's really up to each person individually. And But she didn't want to weigh herself. But, you know, that's kind of part of the program. And, and so she said to me, well, you can weigh me. I'm going to close my eyes. And she said, you can look at the number, but don't tell me. She also told me that she weighed about 175 pounds, but she hadn't weighed herself in a really long time. So she steps on the scale, and she's actually 218 pounds. And and so you know it's okay I honor people's wishes and you know we we I gave her a particular nutritional plan to follow, and and I said I would weigh her weekly, and I mean, because I deal with all these issues in my clinical practice, and and she would return weekly and and follow my directions on exercise, and not really too much exercise, just even walking every day is enough. A little bit of weight training, uh, because as women age, they need a little bit more muscle mass and to keep their their bones um, strong, thick and their muscles strong. So that's really important to prevent fractures. Um, so I would just advise her. A of her trending in the downward uh, position, <laughs> in the downward pathway. And so she was okay with that. Um, but, you know, women become less satisfied. And, you know, honestly, the song, you don't know what you got till it's gone, Big Yellow Taxi, comes into play here. Because uh, if you've Weren't happy with your body when you were in your 20s. Wait till you get to your 30s or your 40s. Sagging, wrinkling, and there's changes in fat distribution that occur to women in midlife. And so appearance is just as important to self-concept worth in the 35 to 65-year-old woman as it is to younger women, according to research. There are a prevalence of body image concerns in women over the age of, of 50. There are, there are a number of uh, body image concerns in women over 50, and, and the prevalence will surprise you. I should say 71% of women between the ages of 35 and 65 are currently trying to lose weight. 79% feel that weight played a moderate to the most important role in their self-concept. That's close to 80% of women feel that way. 70% of women are dissatisfied with their weight and shape compared to when they were younger. And 84% were specifically dissatisfied with their stomachs. I hear that complaint a lot. People say, I don't want to touch my stomach. I feel really uncomfortable about my stomach. And this is according to research from the study Factors Associated with Body Dissatisfaction and Disordered Eating in Women in Midlife. And it was from the International Journal of Eating Disorders. And if you want to find more information about that. So imagine that, uh, how many women are dissatisfied with their lives. And that really relates to their sexuality, their sense of of sensuality, how they strut their stuff or not, uh, how they go to their relationship, what they bring to their relationship, you know, and, and whether or not they feel fabulous in the 40s and the 50s. And you really want to do that, you know, as life progresses. Uh, Women become more mature, resolved, uh, can become more relaxed, can kind of ditch some of the old. Mentality around the message that the messages that they may receive around sex, in particular, because uh, many women receive negative messaging around that, and many women, you know, we have a society that ad- admires uh, thin women. We're photoshopping everybody, and and if we're not, where people are photoshopping themselves, they're making themselves unrecognizable on Facebook and Instagram because of all these apps that can change the appearance of you. But there are some protective factors to body dissatisfaction for women. Midlife, And those include being in a consistent relationship, being in a long-term relationship, having children—they, of course, take so much of your uh, attention—and having job security as well. There is a societal expectation that women look after others before they look after themselves, and that may contribute to poor body image. And so, you know, we admire those women who are the martyrs, the ones who are just exhausted and just doing everything— and, um, you know, for everybody else, the type E personality, and that's not healthy and that's not necessarily good. And that doesn't necessarily lead to a healthy life or relationship. And so you got to take care of yourself first. You are the most important person to you. I also want to mention another prof- protective factor to body dis- satisfaction, and that includes self care. Self care is so important. Whose teeth do you brush in the morning? Whose face do you wash? Who goes in the shower with you? Well, there might be somebody else going in the shower with you, and that's okay. Um, But, you know, ultimately you have to take care of yourself. But low self-care is actually associated with a higher body mass index, according to this particular research around female body dissatisfaction and eating disorders. High cognitive control also provides immunity to body dissatisfaction. So, you know what, just to uh, be self-actualized, to have you know, good mental health, good strong emotional health. That's very, very important in terms of uh, being satisfied with your body. And you know what, you want to be satisfied with your body, especially as you age. It relates to your career. uh, It relates to your relationships. It relates to, you know, the the model that you are for your children, uh, perhaps. You know, women's lives become extremely busy at this time of life. They may be well, they're part of the sandwich generation. They may be taking care of their parents and they're taking care of their children. And they're taking care of everything in the home. Women don't typically speak up about these issues. It's very common for women to, you know, crave carbs. And, you know, it's important to get sleep at this time of life as well because you process your carbs differently if you're not getting adequate sleep at this time. You know, alcohol consumption really me- needs to be uh, left to a minimum. That's not really a healthy way to deal with any stresses that you may have in your life. So a good way to deal with stresses is get some great exercise and eat a healthy diet and, you know, deal with your relationship issues because that uh, is protective against body dissatisfaction. So if you're happy in your relationship, and that doesn't mean you don't have problems. Everybody has problems in their relationship. Everybody has adverse events. Everybody has things that they have to deal with and talk about, and perhaps even agree to disagree. And and having a healthy sex life and and good, frequent, satisfying sex for you, for the woman. You know, we're we're taught that uh, sex is about serving men, and it's not. At all. It is for men and for women to enjoy. And so, so many women come to me and they're tired and they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed, and they have low sexual desire, and the last thing on their mind is sex, and they just don't want to, and they think that it's about him, and he's making all of the advances. And this is not to say that men don't experience low sexual desire. They do. And it's even more devastating for women when a man doesn't, for a woman, when a man doesn't want her, because isn't that the the accepted notion that all men want is sex? And so, when a man doesn't want sex with a woman, and maybe she has body image issues, she feels badly about herself, and it l- can lead to a whole host of problems. So, it's important to deal with the issues that you have in life, and uh, and just remember, body image is a is a common issue for. A number of women at midlife. Well, that's a wrap for the Sunday Night Health Show. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at back the number two, the bedroom. Visit my website, backtothebedroom.ca or go to my blog, 50 shades of pink. You can always listen on iTunes where it's a free download if you missed a part of the program or you want to hear it again. So remember when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I'm Maureen McGrath and you've been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show.